Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the sixth ever episode of the PO Forecast Extra. I'm your host, Freddie Webb, and yes, we, we got the extra back up and running in 2024. Sorry about no episode for 2023. I had a personal matter that I had to deal with, but thankfully, you know, you know what elderly parents are like. But finally, that's all sorted. So I've now had some spare time to set up the extra for this month, and we've got a large show to go through with all sorts of stuff. We're going to do a brief overview of the Cheltenham game. We're recording on Sunday, the 7th of January. So we're going to do a quick reaction of that. But then the big thing is we're going to do our half-season player reviews. We're going to delve into the data and the video footage of how all the players have been played and give them a grade from A-plus all the way down, with C being an average. And obviously, I needed some help in doing that. And you can shout at our ratings later on. So the first person that's helped me on this is Jack Hancock. How's it going, man? Mate, I wasn't ready for that because normally go to Joff first. <laughs> I changed it up. <laughs> I'm all out of loop. I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very well. That Cheltenham game was gutting. Honest, honestly, it, 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 you seemed very upset about it as well, guys. Oh, just, oh, just, just so angry. No, no. it's very. How, how harsh have you been to the players in these player ratings? I've been all right. I think I've been out like two Ds, so to speak. A couple of Cs, a couple of Bs, a couple of Bs. It's yeah. I'm I'm critical, but I'm not mean. I'm like someone who you will introduce spread, in a minute. I'm sure we're spread across the world, and someone who may even be even more critical of the players in these play ratings is uh, Mr. Joff Taylor. How's it going? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thanks. Feeling a bit of the old Doms as I played 90 minutes of football yesterday. Didn't yeah, manage to get to Cheltenham tickets, so decided to turn out for my local Saturday League team. And I played 90 minutes at defensive midfield in the six or four role, depending on when you're from. And six. I'm I'm knackered. But apart from that, yeah, doing pretty well. And I've handed out some supposedly savage ratings. So I guess you've got to find out. Josh, Josh can I make you feel better? Go on. So I was back coaching this morning for the first time in a month. And 30 minutes into my first session, I got cramp in my hamstring. So it's a low point. It is a low point. That's not great. Uh, well, to make you guys feel better, I haven't been back to full fitness since I was about 19 and the, and the road has not, has not gotten any better since then, but uh, I may get back o- on it for a little bit, try and get my fitness up so I can actually play football without embarrassing myself. So we'll see what we get there. But first, we're going to go through the Cheltenham game. Obviously, ended up with a 2-1 defeat, which now leaves Pompey with top of the table, but with a very slim margin with Bolton, Peterborough, Oxford, all with games in hand. So that little decent cushion that the Blues had set up for themselves has now vanished after only one win in five and it's very pompy that we got the three points against the hardest team out of all of them but there we are and let's look at this overall then Joff I'll go to you first obviously we know it was a gutting result but from watching the game live I'm not sure if you've got this from the highlights it was the first game that Pompey effectively just threw away rather than the performance being bad Looking at the highlights, you didn't really need the kind of cameras to cut or the edit to cut from when we scored until they had gone two one up, and you can kind of see how he just kind of relaxed after after we scored. And I, you know, we've come back from going one two nil down a decent amount in the season, and we've gained a lot of points from those positions. But you know, holding on to lead, we've been fine. You know, in some games we've let things drop occasionally as well, but this was. I'm not going to describe it as a total head loss, but I think we would, we just kind of, oh, we got the goal. Great. We can relax. And, you know, maybe that heavy touch from Shocknessy, you know, symbolizes that. But it wasn't great after we scored. And then when they scored two, we 
you know, had a lot of chances, had an XG of exactly one by my count after their second goal and, you know, didn't score from it, created some chances, a couple of penalty shouts in there, which I'm sure we'll get onto in a bit, but yeah, didn't go our way afterwards. Yeah, looking at the expected goals overall, Pompey had 1.47 for this game, which isn't exactly high compared to some of the other results that they've had. But against Cheltenham's 0.7, where effectively their biggest chances were the two goals that Liam Serkin took in this game, it was a, a massive hit. Pompey also had more shots on target, more deep completed crosses, passes, high, higher advanced passing numbers, but all of that was for naught, unfortunately. Kamara had some chances in the first half. He had that low left-footed shot that went straight at Luke Southwood and then was played in again by Bishop with the header. Who And Kamara again hit his shot straight at the keeper. Cheltenham looked good on the wings at times. They were able to create their gaps there for most of the first half. Without, They looked dangerous, unlike other sides that Pompey played against. They didn't create like a big clear-cut chance, but they looked like they could hit Pompey on the break. One of the things that I noticed in the first half that came to haunt Pompey later, and I think, Jack, with your coaching, you could tell me why this about this routine. Pompey play out from the back, which is fine, but there's this one routine they do, which I absolutely hate, and you might need to defend it for a little bit, where it starts off with a centre-back from the goal kick, plays it to Norris, who then plays it to Marlon Pack with two attackers pressing him, and he's obviously got nowhere to go because he's got two people pressing him. Then he plays back to the keeper, with those said players pressing the keeper again. And then I think he tries to usually play it to the fullback or to another centre-half partner. But often Pompey either lose the ball or with other things, and it invites too much pressure. And in the first half, Cheltenham were able to regain possession high in Pompey's half and basically invite danger where they didn't need to. Am I overreacting with that? For, or is that, or is that routine just, is that going to happen? Is that just the weakness of it? I think it's kind of a mixture of two. I don't think it's one of them where, because it's not worked a few times, it's indicative of a kind of a long-term problem. What I'd say, breaking it down, because I know that a few people are kind of confused with why Raggett will take our, our goal kicks. And it's a it's a fair thing to be confused by. I was confused by it, so I learned about it earlier on in the year. The idea, and you saw it last year with the left side of centre about taking it, but I'll, that's by the by. So the idea is, so Raggett is obviously not as good on the ball. So what happens is, let's say Norris takes a short goal kick out to either centre-back. What and then immediately happens is the attackers will curve their press to lock us on one side of the pitch, therefore limiting the space we have to play in. And either we play out and play really far and they can win the second balls and the, and the aerials, or we, they turn the ball over. Whereas this way, when the centre-back plays into Norris, what it means is that they can't curve their run and lock us on one side of the pitch because we can just go the other way. Much simpler. Unfortunately, what we've seen, and I notice it a lot without Robertson, is that we don't have midfielders who are so silky and so tight on the turn, uh, under, under pressure and in those small pockets that normally what would happen is you'd play into Norris from, from Raggett. And obviously the reason the right side of centre back takes it is because our goalkeeper is left footed. So you want him receiving on his, his strong foot and his back foot, which in this case, Norris is left footed. Last year, Matt Mace was right footed. Then what would happen ideally is so you play up to Marlon Pack, who then immediately plays back to Norris, who plays forward to, to Robertson, who can then turn out and play really quickly. Unfortunately, that doesn't quite happen. And another thing I've noticed is that we lack... So if you split the pitch into vertical, uh, horizontal third, sorry. So you've got defensive third, middle third, top third, essentially. 
we lack those players that can really connect those thirds. Robertson is superb. It is one of the best. Outside that, not really. So you'll often see us play out to the fullbacks and then hoping to play back into midfield. But it doesn't always work because uh, what will happen is wing, uh, the opposition will have their wingers or their wing backs or their wide midfielders jump out to press them really aggressively, making them panic. So is it indicative of a long-term problem? No, not for me. But in my opinion, it does require tweaks when you don't have the personnel like Alex Robertson to make it work. And yeah, I don't think you can say it was a, an issue of the routine for the goal that uh, the Cheltenham scored, the Cheltenham second goal. I think it was just a moment of madness by Shocknessy. The only criticism I'd have of the players around him is that no one's really moving to receive or calling for it. But I think in that moment, you just got to get rid of it. <laughs> you don't always have to play out every single time. Sometimes you cut your losses and you play long and you reset. Yeah, I think that was the big thing, really, with that routine. It was the fact that really a lot of the passing lanes when Pack received the ball were just gone. So he had to play to the keeper and then they would lock up the other players. So it made either Roberts and Norris go long or try the risky pass, which didn't play off as much in this game rather than others. Let's talk about one of Simon Mather's, the referee's first decisions, which infuriated a lot of people. According to Massinho, and I vaguely remember seeing this, but uh, th- this was in the opposition half. I couldn't quite see this one. Kamara was pushed into the hoardings in the first half by a defender who used both hands and obviously nowhere near the ball. Probably would have been a foul on the other area of the pitch. Massinho was quite cross. The second one where Kamara was booked for a dive. Now, obviously, you have Tom Pett basically in the penalty area, but it does a poor touch. Kamara's right on top of him. Pett is able to get to the ball first from the video that I got. So he's able to get to the ball. Then Kamara continues his run because he's basically committed, goes into Pet's leg and goes down. Now, this might be a bit controversial, but I at least understand where the referee is coming from if he thought Kamara ran into Pet's leg deliberately to try and get him to make a decision. The problem is, afterwards, Joe Rafty came out in the news and on the BBC and said what the referee said. Rafty said, the referee said there was contact, but not enough for a penalty. Fine, all right, but if he's got it wrong or, or not, why are you booking him? Basically, he didn't confirm what I thought the referee was thinking, where he basically said, oh, I thought he was trying to buy a penalty by running into his leg. He just said, oh, there was contact, but not enough, which is a weak defence for me. Joff, what did you think of Kamara's yellow card for simulation? Was it was it fair or was it as outrageous as a lot of people are thinking? I don't think it was fair, but you've seen them given, um, even in the Premier League with VAR and stuff like that. You can clearly see where a defender's won the ball and then taken the player out and it's a perfectly fine challenge. The player's gone down due to them running and the momentum of the uh, player tackling them. Yellow card unfair. Is it a penalty? Probably not. You see, Again, you've seen them given and you know we can chat all day about referees being inconsistent and the standard refereeing in League One and stuff but he gets the ball then he gets the man and for me it's a perfectly fine challenge which Kamara shouldn't be booked for and from from the angles that I've seen he definitely hasn't kind of left his leg trailing like you see some players do to try and convince the ref uh, you see it yeah more in, more in leagues we don't have VAR or anything like that he definitely wasn't you know up to that but yellow cards harsh shouldn't have been a penalty in my eyes yeah, I think that's my opinion as well. Jack, is that similar with you from what you've seen? My point was always it was never a penalty, but it was also never a dive. You know, look at um, one of the favourite tackles of, of, of recent years was 
James Bolton on Lucas Herrera. Was oh, it? I love it when that tackle did, gets a mention. Did, did, did he win the ball? Yeah. Did he take the man? Yeah. But is it, you know, is it a dive? No. It's just, he got the ball and the player was on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Both can be true. Like, like Raf said, and like you guys have said, just because he, he goes down and just because, you know, he's attacked, it doesn't make it a dive. It's, it's not a dive. I think Kamara has been on the end of a lot of really unfair decisions recently. I do feel quite bad for him. Yeah. Fair play to him because he keeps going on, but it's, it's never a penalty. It's never a dive. Yeah, I, I think that's basically the latter. I think the yellow card was harsh. It wasn't an, an obvious dive, as I've seen a certain Liverpool attacker do when he's through on goal, when he's round to the keeper. But never mind. Moving on, there was also something which didn't appear in the extended highlights, where Pompey were in the final third. There was a foul. Referee played a slight advantage, gave the signal for advantage. A couple of passes, then plays into lane. Then the referee blows the whistle because he thinks that lane's not going to get to the ball. Lane did get to the ball, drove a low shot hard into the corner, and it would have been 1-0. But the referee wasn't patient enough with his advantage. So that was something else that a lot of the fans at the game would have seen, which also infuriated them. Second half, there was a a few bits and bobs. Kamara had a great through ball, brew to Paddy Lane, but his shot went straight to the keeper. There was also a quick free kick on the halfway line, which went all the way to Lane on the left-hand side. He tried to chop it onto his right, but the... uh, the touch was pretty poor and it went straight to the keeper. The own goal which put uh, by Tom Bradbury, which put Pompey 1-0 up. Long throw, not dealt with by Cheltenham at all. There was a few pinball headers in the penalty area. And then Raggett hit it across goal and the defender miskicks it. And at that point, Joff, did you think that Pompey would, would normally just sew that game up? Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things where because we are top of the league and have managed to come back from games and mostly hold on to Leeds this season. You think, ah, yeah, we're top of the league. Cheltenham, I think, was second bottom going into this game. And yeah, you think, ah, great, we've got this. Continue to apply pressure, get a second, see the game out. And maybe it's wishful thinking. Maybe I'm being too positive because, you know, we're Pompey stuff can, yeah, we can do stupid stuff at times and take heavy touches in the box and, you know, not clear, clear the ball when we should. So, but yeah, there's a, Lapses in concentration and maybe thinking, oh yeah, we've got this in the bag. These guys are in the relegation zone. We're getting promoted. We've got the goal. Easy. But obviously that didn't happen. And yeah, I expected us to kind of push on and go for a second. Obviously, we, you know, after their two goals, which happened in such quick succession, we had to push on to get an equaliser. But, you know, you just assume these days that if we take the lead, we'll push on and do that. And, you know, they kind of, kind of stunned us with those two goals, I think. Yeah, I'm sure many people would have noted that, yes, Pompey did score from a long throw and they are making fun of me right now. And it was a game of long throws because Liam Circum scored his first when Pompey also couldn't deal with a long throw very well. Initial header missed, ball fell to Liam Circum, who was able to get to do one touch pretty well and then hit it with his left foot flush on the volley in off the post. Missed that goal in real time, but it was taken very well. Jack? Could Pompey have done much better with dealing with that long throw? Because normally they deal with those situations quite well. Was it just a defensive lapse more than anything? Yeah, I think so. You can kind of you can kind of accept not winning the first ball because it's such a physical hodgepodge in there. It's kind of anyone's game. It's whoever wants it most in, to to an extent. And I saw some people for the, so. And then when you get to the second phase, I saw some people blaming Gavin White for not tracking the run. That is not Gavin White's job. If you look, if you look at the goal, number thirty-four, Charles thirty-four is on the edge of the box, waiting to absolutely spank one into the back of the net if it falls to him. 
that is Gavin White's job to get out to him and block that shot. I'm not sure whose responsibility it is. It's not Gavin White's, but someone has to track that run into the box. And unfortunately, one of the benefits of long throws is that it's utter chaos. It's utter chaos. It's You can't plan as stringently for a long throw as you can for a corner or a free kick, for example. Unfortunately, these things happen where it's just chaos. And and look, we I think we've actually started improving our long throws recently, which is surprising to say the least. I think Marlon's throws have gotten better somehow. I think we've been a bit more committed in attacking the ball. Sometimes it's the intangibles that win you win you the moments that are long throws, and it, you, you, it's whoever can best attack the chaos. But yeah, it's certainly not Gavin White's fault. It's someone in that kind of that massive bodies on the six yard box. Someone had to get to that earlier. But yeah, not Gavin White for me. It was just one of them where. I, I don't know. I've, I don't know what it is recently because I think there's an air of complacency and not arrogance. Arrogance is the wrong word. Complacency has crept into us where we go one nil up or we go into games going, ah, yeah, we'll get there. It'll be fine. Because we've had this run of games where we've beaten a lot of top, top sides and we've also got, I don't want to say lucky, but you know, we've scored a lot of late goals. And I think maybe we're a bit like, ah, you know, it's Cheltenham, man. it's Cheltenham, it's Exeter. We go and do them. And I, I don't think that's a long-term thing. I think that will be players we've woken up to that pretty quickly. They're not stupid. They're not arrogant. They're not stubborn. But I think an air of complacency has crept into a squad full of absolute mentality monsters, which is surprising and, and quite disappointing. Yeah, I think both those goals and long pros showed the example of the surprise factor of it. I think my personal gripe is I've seen too many matches at several levels where a team has a long throw and then they just use it constantly. And then after the fourth one, they figured out how to defend against it. And it doesn't matter if the long throw is throwing from just inside his own half or right on the corner flag. They know what the set piece setup is and they deal with it. Liam Circum's second goal I was more infuriated with. Ball falls to Joe Morrell, plays it back to Connor Shaughnessy in the penalty area and takes what can only be described, Shaughnessy, excuse me, and takes a horrendous touch. He's blocked off by George Lloyd and then Circum comes hurtling in hits it with full force and it goes past Will Norris. It's right in the middle, actually. So it wasn't in either of the corner, but it was just hit with enough velocity that the keeper didn't set himself. Geoff, how disappointed were you with the second goal? Because Pompey were in the lead, they were comfortable. And unlike, you, you could possibly forgive the chaos and the long throw, but that's just throwing away a lead, isn't it? Yeah, it was pretty foolish, but a rare, rare error from Stockton C. He's been so solid this season. I've yeah, really rated him since he's come in. He's you know, played that left centre back role very, very well and he's made it his own. One of the yeah, definitely definitely undroppable players with a full fit squad. But yeah, a rare error, heavy first touch in the box, which you can't really be doing and getting away with, you know, even at the horrendous level that I play at, you can't get away, get away with that. And so, you know, if it happens in League One and you get punished for it, it's you know, decent kind of awareness from a I totally back to the name. I was going to say Ryan Bowman, but it's the other bloke from Exeter who scored. Liam Serkham. Let him suffer. Let Serkham. him suffer, Fred. Serkham. I was about to go on FOTMOB then. Yeah, good awareness from Serkham to uh, to lash one in, but you know you can't blame Norris for that. You can't blame Raggett for that because they're both kind of just set in stone and it's a decent enough shot with enough power on it. But yeah, just a lapse in concentration and you know maybe it's because of tiredness. We've played a lot of games in a short amount of time. Shockness he's played a lot as well because seemingly Towler isn't trusted by Massinho. Probably a loan move 
for him would be be the right option in January. But yeah, just just carelessness. Pompey went and tried to push on to try and equalise and make it to all or even further. Later in the half, they did the um, the usual where I think Jack Sparks was subbed off and then they swapped to a back three as well to try and give another midfielder on, another attacker. Gavin White had a very good cross and it was probably the only thing, honestly, the only thing he did in attacking midfield. He, you know, he had some nice linking passes at times in the centre of the pitch but didn't impact the game in the final third enough for me personally. But he had that one dangerous cross on the left-hand side where he ripped it across Joe Rafferty knocked it back and, and Sean Raggett was about an inch away from uh, from the header. He, he was in flight diving for it, which could, which was a, a major opportunity, I thought. Bishop had a header in the six-yard box, but the cross was slightly too high for him, so he didn't get proper contact on it and headed over the bar. And the only thing Cheltenham did after that from an attacking perspective was when Aidan Keener had a shot from a quick throw that was just wide and from where we were standing, it looked like it went in, so I was terrified a little bit. Sadie came on as the impact sub and did incredibly well, I thought. Had that long dribble on the left-hand side where he won the ball in Pompey's half, dribbled all the way near to the Cheltenham penalty area, put in that cross for Bishop, but, he said, but his touch let him down and it went straight to the keeper. Well, Bishop could have done slightly better with that touch there, but never mind. Now, the second contentious decision, and uh, which is the one I hate more, to be honest. Anthony Scully getting a yellow card for diving when he was put clean for on goal from the through ball. There was no reason for Anthony Scully to go down there. He was he was setting himself up for the shot. The defender was pretty much all over him. I saw I saw a pull of the shirt from where I was standing, which may have not been seen by the referee or, or, or on the highlights, but that's by the by. I thought that decision was worse than the Kamara one. I thought that was incredibly harsh on Scully because he had no reason to dive there. He was clean for on goal in the last minute. Whether he would have scored or not is a different matter, but no, I thought that decision was poor. Joff, what did you think of the Scully yellow card? There is contact. It's gone down. It's gone down easily. The camera angles from this uh, extended highlights that I've been watching on iFollow aren't great, so I can't give it like a full judgment. But From the terrace I was standing in, it looked worse. It looked like the defender put more on him because I was looking at it from the opposite side that you saw. It's one of those, it's one of those things where... I said it before with the uh, Kamara decision that you've seen them given as fouls and you know potential red cards when it's the last man and that, but you've also given them as seen them given as dives. And I think a general point with us this game, if we are at nil nil when both of these incidents happen, then we've got way more of a right to moan about the result, uh, you know, moan about the ref causing the result. We've let ourselves down and it's 2-1 and we've done stuff. You know, we haven't controlled the controllables. We've done stuff stupidly in our own box and essentially given them two goals. And so they are the things we should be focusing on first and foremost. But at the end of the day, you know, they're two decisions that on another day, different ref, go our way. And they haven't, but we haven't controlled the controllables and we've given them chances. So I don't really think we've got a, a right to moan. But from the angles I've seen, he's gone down easily, but there is contact, so who knows? Yeah, the fans in the stadium were pretty cross with the referee after the game, booed him, some bloke lobbed a chair onto the pitch after ripping it off, but there we are. The players looked absolutely gutted more than anything. It was the fact that they were frustrated. They thought they they seemed to think they had the chances in this game, didn't take them, and the result was ripped away. Now, obviously, there's more pressure on the side. They've won one win in five, like I've mentioned. Jack, given the performances of those five games, 
obviously there are, there were injuries as well. It was announced on the Saturday that Alex Robertson has torn his hamstring. He's getting assessed on Monday after this pod was recorded, so we don't know the extent, but we can assume it could be the same length of injury as Tino Andrin, six to eight weeks. If it is, that's a massive miss. How much help is needed for this squad now, given the injuries that it has and the important run of games, considering that we don't have the larger point cushion anymore? Look, I don't think this has to be the end of the world or the end of the season. I think any overreactions and kind of quite hyperbolic takes are, are nonsense, to be honest. That being said, it, it, it can define us if we don't react to it. And I think we need three, potentially three top signings and four, sorry, three top signings and one backup player. If you, if you really want to be sure you, you, you know, you're putting yourself in the best position. I, I was chatting to, from, to Ali from a NCT 20 actually and kind of joking back and forth with him. And their point was always that Portsmouth, pretty good floor. The ceiling isn't as low. It isn't as high stories as a Bolton or a Peterborough, for example, or a Derby. And I, I completely agree with that. And if you look at those sides, they can go and they can batter someone, you know, six nil, five nil, whatever. Whereas of us, defensively, still very good. Defensively good. You can look at the statistics. Your eyes can do the work. Statistically, defensively very good. However, the goals just don't really happen. And that's okay. That's okay short term. But I think we've said in almost every single episode that it's not sustainable and that eventually we're going to get a bit on the arse because of it. And it doesn't have to be a defining characteristic. It's, ah, oh, well, of course, we can't score goals because we're in January. We can alleviate that with, you know, a really good midfielder, yeah, a good ball playing centre back on the right hand side to help build up and just a bit of a, a cheat code game breaker left winger, for example. We can do that. And there's no reason why we shouldn't do that. I look at Ipswich last year. I know money is is obviously a huge factor there and we don't have as much as them but it's not about money it's about the right player and rich hughes does not need to go spend millions on players to get us cooking you know it doesn't you just need to go and get the right players and pompey could spend zero pound get the perfect players i wouldn't care because i don't want to spend money i want to buy the right players so yes it's it's been shit let's be honest it's been really rubbish but it doesn't have to be the end of the world and I would say hold out until the end of January, early weeks of February to really see where the squad is at because all it needs is a few more signings, a couple of wins and people are singing John Messino's name that we're going to go up and absolutely batter everyone in the division. It's People are fickle like that, including myself and, and Fred and Joff. We're all fickle. We're football fans. But I say hold off on the kind of the doom mongering and the hyperbolic reaction. Just wait a couple of weeks because at the end of January, we could be absolutely flying. We'll look back and go, <laughs> wasn't that stupid? So, um, yeah, it's not the end of the world, but it needs a reaction. Yeah, and uh, you, you, the listeners will be able to hear more names in the upcoming transfer special where we're planning on getting Gabe Sutton on the show, very knowledgeable guy with all the his football league analysis as well. We should have lots of names and we're going to go through certain positions. I think the ones we've earmarked so far are centre-back, right-back, striker and a player who can play on the on the wing or at 10 and maybe chop and changing, because like Jack said, we probably need about three or four numbers. And if you think two play- one or two players might leave as well, that might help with the budgeting as well. So, that, yeah, check, sorry, Fred, that, did, that did slightly sound like when David Moyes at United, he was like, oh, what do you, what, what do you need to improve at? And he went, uh, scoring goals, defending, passing. <laughs> we need no, uh, everyone, no, no, no. We're, all we're, the signings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't need all the signings, but we just need some in key areas. So yeah, check out for that. Okay, so now we're going to go through our half-season ratings for all the major players in this team. 
couple of omissions in there. All didn't think that Denver Hume and um, Tom Lowry played enough games. So we haven't included them for fairness sake. We've included Josh Martin, even though he's played a couple of games, but he was a signing that was supposed to impact the club. So I think we, we included him for that reason. So we're going to start off from goalkeeper all the way to strikers. So we're going to start with Will Norris. I gave him an A-. minus. He has excellent distribution. Scout had his forward passing stats per 90 as, for, as the fourth most accurate in the entire league. Also fourth most accurate for long passes per 90 and also had top of the league for highest final third passes per 90 accuracy from 9.77 per 90. In 26 matches, he conceded 22 goals with 12 clean, clean sheets in there. 91 shots faced and minus 0.34 prevented goals ratio. And that involves the expected goals on targets that the keeper faces and tries to work out an average for how many the goalkeepers conceding. He's about where he is in terms of that metric. That minus isn't large enough to be to have a concern. I think he he's quite integral to the way he's played. Yes, he's had a few flaps at crosses and the distribution in the Exeter game was poor. Chuck's one against Chesterfield. But there have been on multiple occasions where he's made some very key saves, some very big saves to keep Pompey in front. Joff, what have you given Will Norris as a rating? I've given Will Norris a B+. Yeah, I've based my kind of ratings and analysis on a few things. I've got a player rating system, which we've visited before, where it kind of profiles players in terms of their style, so you can work out whether a midfielder, because on a lot of these websites you get a centre midfielder, but you kind of want to work out whether they're a 6, 8 or a 10, or somewhere in between, not a 7. So I've got that going down, and then, yeah, a bit of the eye test, and then I've taken their best stat attribute in terms of percentile rank so how many how many percents of the uh, other goalkeepers in league one for norris example and then other fullbacks center backs for other players examples um their highest and their lowest one and kind of looks at the, how good are they at certain things how bad are they at certain things so i've given him yeah that b plus long ball accuracy he's in the 95th percent also he's better than uh 95 percent of other goalkeepers in league one and that's with a 40% long ball accuracy rate. So, you know, not that high. So three in every five, you'll see not accurate. And he's got some flack recently for that, but over the course of this season so far, he's in the top 5%. So that's pretty good. And then the bottom stat, goals prevented on FOTMOB, he's at zero per 90. So he's basically where he should be. He had It was really, really good at the start of the season. And then we kind of regressed to the mean at that um, with the expected goals metric and he's in the 45th percentile so his worst stats still you know it's not too far from average so yeah I think B plus is fair Jack what have you given um, I'll, I'll also yeah I'll also contextualise how my rankings have worked um, I love data I love stats but mine is done purely on my baseline statistical understanding of each player um, and then mainly the eye test and kind of what I see my work away from kind of the public eye is is all in video analysis and performance analysis. So I've kind of gone on that basis. I've given Will Norris an A. And you know, in Scooby-Doo, it's like, I would have got away for it if you one of you meddling kids. Will Norris would have gone A-star if it wasn't for those meddling second six-yard box cross claims and reflex saves down to his uh, left. He's quite weak. Or is it to his right? One of the... Anyway, 
yeah, he's been fantastic in my opinion. Yes, he drops a clang every now and again. He plays in League One. If he didn't do that, he would not be in this division. The upside's way better than the negative. Yeah, I think overall we're all pretty positive on, on Will Norris, which isn't too surprising. Yeah, he's definitely taken the number one spot. Ryan Schofield, uh, I've given him a D grade. I understand why he can, he can get a rhythm in some of his matches due to the fact that he's only played cup games. He's played six cup matches and conceded 12. And obviously, for a keeper, you would prefer the goalkeepers play consecutive matches, get you, gets used to things. So it's understandable why some of his performances have been a bit rickety. But I think he's looked unconfident, flapped at a lot of crosses, made a few mistakes as well thrown in. And I don't think it's the end of the world if your subkeeper's not, you know, the best stand-in ever because, hey, it's your subkeeper in your League One football club. But I don't think Ryan Schofield's impressed enough when he's played for me. Joff, Ryan Schofield, what have you given him? So this is my lowest rating. I'm probably going to be a bit harsher than you guys in terms of all of them. Uh, I've given I've given him an E. Yeah, there's not a load of data out there on him. What's it called now? Not, 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 it's because the, the data platforms don't follow the EFL trophy. And rightly the so. Bristol Street Motors no. Cup, Papa John's, Check and Trade, Leasing. No respect for L- the LDV Vans. Trophy. Look, he turns up. He gets at least an F. He's there. Fair enough. Who else would be there? Me. Massinho could ev- avoid a touchline ban by registering we're, himself. We're all in the back here. That was decent, to be fair. Yeah, I've given him an E. On the stats we have, he hasn't been great. And as well, if he, I mean, you've got one E in here, which I think is fair because we sees our average. And yeah, from the eye test, he has probably should have made some more saves than the goals that he's let in. So that's my ranking. Job being savage as usual. Jack, what have you given Ryan Schofield as a grade? I mean, I'll keep it quite simple. I gave him a D. Although his distribution is actually okay, which is kind of weird because in your second keeper, you'd rather have a good shot stopper and a good distributor, which is a bit strange. But yeah, it's just not been very good. There's not loads to say on that. Just not been very good. Distribution's been okay. We move on. I hope Will Norris doesn't get injured. Okay, we're going to move on to centre-halves now. Starting with Riley Towler. He's played seven matches in all competitions and only two in League One and lost his place pretty much after the second match when Connor Shawlessy came in. I know he's had similar problems to Schofield where he hasn't had games back-to-back and I think he'd probably settling and be more confident with, with doing that. But in the games he has played with different defence partners, his positional play hasn't been brilliant. He hasn't brought the ball out with as much confidence as some of us. So I gave him a D plus. I mean, it's worth remembering that Tyler's still only 21. He's got a long career ahead of him. And I still think in an ideal world, you'd send him out on loan to get those game times in the bag. Perfectly reliable squad depth centre-half. But I think from a lot of the other stuff we've seen, I don't think John Messina trusts him enough. Joff? I've done exactly the same as you. Again, not a load of data on him, unfortunately, because no one respects the EFL. Yeah, D plus I think is fair. If C is your average, he's been below average. So I can't give you the kind of best and worst stats. But yeah, I guess the thing that what makes me think he's below average is in a preseason game, I think it was against AFC Wimbledon. He was playing left centre back. Didn't look great, looked a bit shaky. And then Shockness, he comes on for him and he looked so much better. And he took his place and even despite Shocknessy not being left-footed and, you know, I like having a left-footed centre-back in the left centre-back role, um, Shocknessy's taken his place and has been significantly better. So 
I think a D plus is a fair assessment. Jack, are you along the same lines as us, or have you been yeah, harsher? Exactly, exactly, exactly the same. D plus. Just been disappointed with Riley again. Still young. Get him out on loan for me. It's just he's not brave enough. He's not confident enough. He's not aggressive enough, and he just looks a bit lost positionally in terms of defending wide areas and balls over the top. He showed his level last year. He can absolutely get back to that. He just needs consistent game time, a bit of confidence. It's still young. But yeah, I, I, I think I gave, I gave him a D, but D, D plus is, is much for muchness, isn't it? Yeah, just a bit disappointed with how he's performed this season. But look, shockingly, he has been way better. Paul's been way better. Rags been way better. He's never going to get minutes in, in this squad. Sticking with centre backs, we've gone for, I've gone for a player who hasn't been seen in a while. Regan Paul, getting it out of the way now, I gave him an A plus, the highest possible rating, because I think he is superb. Easily would be player of the season before the injury, in my opinion. Shame about it as well. 16 matches in all comps, three goals in the league from 2.46 expected goals, according to Scout. A lot of his dual metrics aren't wild, his stats. They've average or slightly above average, but it's his passing that's off the charts, and it's one of the main reasons why Pompey would be able to progress the ball as well as they have done. He was fifth for four pass accuracy for centre-backs who played at least five games with 78.12%, and he was top for progressive pass accuracy with 80.14% from 8.98. Progressive passes below 90, and that is basically a pass that's at least a third of the pitch, usually from where the defensive line is, and that reduces from how far you are up the pitch. I think he's been superb. He's been exactly the sort of player we've needed, and even though Pompey have been okay since his injury, uh, the team misses him incredibly. So I may have overreacted with the highest possible rating, but no, A plus for Regan Paul. Joff? I've copied you again. Yeah, A plus. I think for all the same reasons you've listed above, he has been, well, he was so pivotal to how well we were playing up until the unfortunate injury. A word on the stats I've kind of used to have a look at this. Worst stat is blocks. He's 34th percentile, but let's be real. He's not that kind of defender to throw himself in the way of things. And, you know, you get centre-backs, you get different types of centre-backs. Raggett's, you know, a more kind of blocky centre-back in terms of going in for, you know, throwing his head in front of shots and stuff. And then his most outstanding one to me was his true tackle percentage. So that takes into account the amount of fouls, the amount of tackles you don't make when going in for a tackle. I can't remember the exact formula. It's available on a very little known search thing called Google, but he's in the 91st percentile with 85.7%, which is very, very good. So yeah, my only A plus there. Jack, have you been just as positive as we have? Almost. I, I went for A, all the same reasons you guys did, apart from I can't give him an A plus because his season ended uh, away at Chesterfield and I, I can't I, I, just, I can't quite give him an A star but if he played the whole season moving up to now absolutely would have got A star would have been the, uh, the player of the season yeah I don't have anything more to add that hasn't already been kind of praised about him yeah just fantastic and like just so so gutting when he got injured it was uh, broke my little heart broke all of our hearts absolutely another since half Sean Raggett Top appearance, uh, top appearance support. So I think he's gotten just over 250 now for the club. He's been around for quite a while. I gave him, and some people may think this is harsh, but I think it's reasonably fair. I gave him a B. 25 matches in all comps, three goals. 
eighth for aerial duels for centre backs in League One, with just over seventy percent from seven point four eight per ninety. We know how strong he is in the air and being able to mark out a tall striker. Reasonably high forward pass percentage. That's also improved quite well. And I think we've seen from the eye test that he's progressing the ball out much better than he did in previous seasons. So it seems like that's a, a thing he's improved with. Stepped in for Egan Paul incredibly well and proved us all wrong when we were all, you know, being hyperbolic and throwing our toys out the pram at the time. So he's done incredibly well and I think he's had a good season. He's had a few, had a few ricks, a few mistakes. Didn't think he played very well in the Blackpool game. Looked a bit shaky to start with whenever he played before Regan Paul came in as well. So I think that's why the grade is a little bit lower. But that's not a slight. I still think he's had a very good season considering everything that's gone on. Jack, I'm going to go back to you this time first uh, to change it up a little bit. Uh, what have you given Sean Ragger? I gave Rags a B minus that is filled in very admirably, admirably for Paul. I still have concerns over his ball playing. I think just because you don't immediately see a consequence from it doesn't mean it's impacted. I think there's a lot of times where he'll do the right thing and he'll step out and he'll, he'll, he'll attract someone and he commits someone, which is good. It's what you want to see. It's what Messina wants to see, said in the press. But he'll, he'll panic and he'll get nervous and he'll either he'll turn back and play to the Norris, you have to reset, or what he'll do is he'll play to normally Rafferty, who then gets caught and you have to, yeah, you have to play back. I think his ball playing has definitely improved. Defending still good, but there's just those worries for me is that when a tricky winger comes up against him 1v1 and can just time up, I've got flashbacks of Jezra and Raksaki last season or whatever it was. And yeah, ball playing is still a slight concern for me, but he's played very well and it is a bit of a cult hero, not a legend or an icon, but a bit of a cult hero because of how committed he's been. So yeah, B minus for Rags. Joff, what have you given Sean Raggett as a grade? Yeah, I've gone B minus as well. And I was thinking initially C because he hasn't been as good as Paul and Shocknessy this season. However, that Charlton game where he got rinsed by Raksaki, he him playing out of the back was pretty woeful and the improvement in that has been really, really significant this season. So yeah, B minus I think has been is a fair assessment. In terms of stats, interceptions, he's in the eighteenth percentile. Again, that could just be the style of centre-back that he is you know Paul is really good intercept for the ball he reads the game really well steps up gets the ball and plays it really well whereas you know I said it earlier Raggett is kind of more throw himself a bit more an old school centre-back if you will and that carries over to his best attribute uh, this half of the season where he's in the 88th percentile so top 12% or aerial duels the aerial duel wins where he's at 71.1% I thought I was being short or harsh on sure Raggett for giving him a B but it turns out I was the most positive on him and I just had to double check. He's now played, according to transfer marks, 220 games for Pompey in all competitions. So sorry about getting the 250 thing wrong. But yeah, double century of matches. That's massive credit to him. Connor Shochnessy, or Messi, as many people call him. 29 matches in all comps, three goals and one assist. 2.71 expected goals. I think he's been a stalwart since he came in. And I remember at the beginning of the season, a lot of us were thinking he'd be the backup centre-half on the bench to come in and try and lock down games. But no, he's been excellent whenever he's come in. Done incredibly well at progressing the ball, very comfortable with the ball at his feet. Strong defensive positional awareness. Is able to adapt to different centre-half partners particularly well. Yes, that touch against uh, Cheltenham was utterly awful. And yeah, it happens on occasion. 
But I think Shocknes has done incredibly well, and it's an excellent buy by Rich Hughes because not many people would have seen it coming. I gave him an A. Joff, what have you given him? Yeah, I've gone for A as well. Um, I've included my little stats breakdown, but part of what's contributed to that is his seemingly really good timing of coming up with really important goals. He scored some pivotal goals, that one against Bolton, the one in the last minute against Wigan as well. And he's, yeah, really contributed in that area. In terms of stats, something that's quite surprising is his tackle percentage. It's only at 40%, which puts him in the 6th percentile. So 94% of centre-backs have had a better true tackle percentage this season, which is surprising. But again, centre-backs are different stylistically. And then long ball accuracy, he is in the top 5% with 51.7%. And, you know, he loves uh, crossfield ping. The Wayne clip, as I like to call it, with my brother when watching England games where Wayne Rune used to drop into midfield, clip a ball to the right wing. But he's been fantastic this season and hopefully don't get injured. Yeah, please don't get injured. Jack, uh, have you gone on the same lines that we have? For Well, I'm kind of in disbelief that Joff has tempted fate in such a way. That's outrageous because um, he's definitely injured now. Yeah, I've got a rating and one word to somewhat kind of shocking to see the rating is a star and the word is imperious next you're not going to elaborate on giving the, the highest ever rating of your players so far <laughs> no i'll no, i'm fine okay, uh, i yeah i didn't expect it i mean when he came in i did a thread on him and i like to admit when i was wrong i had him pegged as like a backup center back rotation midfield player who can be combative and good in transition this kind of thing just been outrageously good so steady the yeah the highest rating i've given out so far I just, uh, he's actually outshone Regan Paul since Paul's been injured. And I think he has stepped up when it mattered. And he's just such a general, he does these lovely kind of outside of the boot passes when he carries the ball up the pitch that seem to work kind of two in three times. And when they come off, they're just so good to see. Yeah. If Paddy Lane had an ounce of speed, he would be on the end of all of it. But Connor has been fantastic up the shot nest monster. And just double check, we, we haven't shared each other's grades before this. So if some of them are the same, we must be just to be on the same wavelength rather than copying each other. So I'm going to write back. We'll start with Zach Swanson. I've given him a C plus. 14 matches in all comps, seven in the league. Stepped up very well when Rafferty was injured for that short time and had very good performances against Derby County and Peterborough, two massive games. I remember he did incredibly well, especially Derby away. He had a similar duels win percentage as Rafferty this season, above average for right backs who have played at least five games. And that also includes wing backs as well. Very high aerial duel rating and actually second in the entire league for aerial duels for a right back with 68.75% from just over four per 90. So gets involved with that incredibly well. And also has a very high cross accuracy rating when he, when he gets into those positions, averaging 3.4 per 90 and is 10th. But that also includes fullbacks and right backs who don't cross anywhere near enough as he does. So they make that one cross per 90 when Swanson average is just over three. Zero goals, zero assists, but I think he's come in and performed admirably when he has played, but also the injuries have been a big part of his season, which is why his rating isn't high. He hasn't, he's had some good games, had some games where, where he's played and not done very much. And that groin problem has been a major issue. And that's why he's going under the knife later on. Jack, what have you given Zach Swanson? I've given Zach a C plus. But that's not for for lack of quality or, or or you know kind of performance levels. With Zach, for me, and I stand by this, I think his 
top level performance at the moment is better than Joe Rafferty's, in my opinion. Unfortunately, he has had such a crap year between the personal bereavement he had, kind of losing his place to Joe Rafferty, all the injuries. I just, I feel really bad for him. I know he probably doesn't need some grubby little podcast to go, oh, I feel bad for you, Zach. But I do. I, I think he's had a really tough time. And yeah, I, I think our best fullback pairings are still Ogilvy plus Swanson and Sparks plus Rafferty. And I think we'll see this the best version of this Portsmouth side when, when Ogilvy and, and Swanson are at fullback. Joff, what do you think of Zach Swanson? That was actually a very good point that Jack raised about the um, the personal matter that Swanson had to go through. That was a massive thing. And that was literally around the time of the Derby County game as well, which was his best. So, I've been uncharacteristically generous. I've given him a B minus, so relatively generous compared to you two. But he has he has stood out when he's played and yeah, looked really good. Fred, you mentioned his cross accuracy earlier. Yeah, he's in the top 10% for that, which is one in three, 33.333 recurring. So it's one of those things where you're like, oh, that looks a bit low, but crossing accuracy for fullbacks, you know, half the time doesn't be the first man. Half the time, half the time's just a saying, isn't it? A lot of the time, defender clears it. A lot of the time, keeper claims it. So 33% is actually really good. Worst kind of attribute, dribble success. Not really a fullback one, but kind of getting on the, on the overlap and taking on a defender hasn't been great. So he's in the, He's in the fifth percentile, so yeah, ninety-five percent of fullbacks are having better in him. But it's a very small sample size with him this season, uh, and hopefully, hopefully, he can get back to fitness because I totally agree with Jack that those two fullback pairings he's mentioned give us really good balance. And my preferred one out of the two are Swanson and Ogilvy. Right, so I'm going to we're going to move on to our, our favourite scouser now, Joe Rafferty, also right back. I've given him a B. Twenty-six matches in all comps, zero goals, but four assists from. 4.22 expected assists. He's joint top for assists from right backs and right wing backs, which is up there. Above average for duels and defensive duels as well. Puts in a lot of crosses, which I think helps the attack a lot. He averages 4.32 per 90 with a 37.84% accuracy, which is above average, doing very well there. I think the biggest thing for me is he progresses the ball incredibly well and gets it up to the attackers in the midfield. He was third. For, for right backs on those parameters for progressive passes per 90 with 12.85 and second on accuracy with averaging just over 80% on accuracy, 80.91. I think without that, Pompey would struggle to get the ball forward. And I think Rafferty's a bit of an unsung hero with that sort of stuff. So yeah, a B grade for Joe Rafferty for me. Jack? Yeah, I went B plus. I, again, yeah, I, I call your points been very good. And for me, the bit that gives him that little plus is that the role he's been asked to play, which is kind of that hybrid right centre back, really high and wide right back role, is incredibly difficult. Knowing when to go on the overlap, when to sit, when to hold in the half space, that is a lot, like a lot. And I think a lot of players in his position would, you know, kind of shirk away from the challenge and not do as well. He does it. He does it pretty well. I think he does it as well as you can expect. The only thing you're kind of missing, as opposed to when Swanson plays, is you don't really get that threat at the byline. From that, that yeah, for example, Swanson he'll overlap and he'll hit that cross right away from the byline, and that's such a good tool and kind of suits the chances we should be creating. Whereas you don't really get that rafty, but I try not to hold that against him. Joff, are you all on the same lines as we are? Yeah, starts with a B, but ends in a minus. He's been really, really solid and played a lot of games, especially covering at right centre back in the EFL Trophy game, which we unfortunately lost. But yeah, he's been. He's been really good in that kind of hybrid role, as Jack's described. He's expected assists, 
89th percentile, so really high, 0.18 per 90, which is you know, cracking for a fullback. And on the kind of not so good side, his dual engagement isn't that big, but again, he's not that kind of fullback. His engagement isn't high, it's in the sixth percentile, but his when he does go in for a dual, it is really high. So that could just be down to the style of play, but he's been he's been really good, and I think yeah, he's been a pretty similar standard to Swanson. They're different kind of fullback, but I think rating one higher than the other is potentially a bit harsh. So I've gone with a B minus there. Okay, now we're going to move to the other side of the defence. We're going to look at left back. Let's have a look at Conor Ogilvy. I've given him a B minus. He's had ten matches in all comps, so the campaign has been dogged by injuries. One goal and zero assist, even though he's had one expected assist total. Seventh for duels out of left backs and left wing backs. We know how good he is defensively and has got strong defensive positional sense, but he did lose his starting spot to Jack Sparks, who came in and offered a lot going forward. And the and unfortunately, with the injuries, he just hasn't recovered since. But when he's played, he's been incredibly good and in part of a defensive unit that's done incredibly well, which, I, which is why I had him higher than Zach Swanson on the other side. I think he's been more impactful and defensive for when he's played. Jack, what do you think? Conor Ogilvy's B minus for. Yeah, I went for a B. Again, I think he's a better fullback and a better player to Jack Sparks. However, his performance level has been lower. Same with Zach Swanson and Joe Rafferty. Yeah, I think he plays that hybrid role very well that I was talking about with Hujma Flip and Joe Rafferty. But actually, so as much a hybrid role as such, it's that left centre back role that he's not quite a centre back, he's not quite a left back. That in possession three two five suits him like a glove because he can sit on the outside of the back three. He can support from deep. I think he's fantastic. And when you said he only played ten games, I, I was like, "What really?" Yeah, it's just a real shame about the injuries, which I think I've said about a few players now. Yeah, he's a better defender. All right, his output and his crossing isn't anywhere near as good as Jack Sparks, but he's incredibly solid and offers you a bit of goal for it. I'm yeah, B for Conor Ogilvy. Ralph, what do you think? Yeah, I've gone with a B as well. It's, yeah, unfortunately, he's been plagued with injury this season. Uh, in terms of stats, touches in the opposition box in the 85th percentile, so not as high as some of the others, but he does love to get forward when he when he can. And yeah, getting touches in the opposition box is something he's really good at. There's a goal against Cambridge, I think, at home from last season, which is one of my favourite goals. Where he arrives late and just smashes it in. That and the uh, counter-attack goal against Rotherham, which Harness, I think, scores. Two of the favourite recent goals. So yeah, he's great at that, and as Jack says, he that outside centre back hybridy thing is great. If we ever play a three at the back, he is the left centre back. There is no other option. Interceptions, he's only in the fourth percentile. Again, small data set. I don't really see an issue with that. So I think yeah, a B has been fine, and hopefully he recovers soon. Okay, we're going to move on to Jack Sparks. I've given him a B plus. Thirty-one matches in all comps with eight assists in all comps. Six of those in the league, which for context is the same as Corey Backett, Taylor, Conor Hurahan, Karamoko Dembele, Josh Sheehan, and CJ Hamilton, to name a few. From five point seven three expected assists, we know what he can offer going forward. He's incredibly good. His crossing stats aren't actually that good. Seventh for the number of crosses he puts in, four point five two per ninety, but averaging around thirty percent. I'd like that to be a little bit higher, but we know what he can do from a set piece pinging the ball on a sixpence to a centre-half. He offers an awful lot. His defensive positioning has been an issue in certain games, and in the Blackpool game, that showed an awful lot. He was run under the cosh in that game. And I think against very aggressive wingers in certain teams, that will be an issue. But I can't give somebody 
who's up there with assists in the league less than the B plus, I don't think. I think his attacking outputs outweighed it for me. Jack, I've got a feeling you'll be a bit harsher than me. No, no, I gave him a B plus as well, but I will say great going forward defensively. My word. Uh, I I think quite bad defensively. I don't think it's a case he's got unlucky or I uh, gets by. I think he's quite quite bad defensively and it can be worked on because I've seen some improvements from him. But as someone who spends a lot of time working with fullbacks doing video analysis, yeah, I, I worry with Jack Sparks. I think if we do get promoted this year, I'm sorry, when we get promoted this year, I think if you get a good enough offer, I think you take it because that's money that can be reinvested. And I think in the championship, he would get ruined in the back four. But yeah, as a fantastic going forward, reminds me of Trent Alexander-Arnold in a way. Really good go forward, not great defensively. But you can kind of get away with one of those players in your team. Yeah, set pieces, crosses. He's got a great attacking tool set. Okay, now we're going to move on to the centre of the field. Oh, shit. Joff, you have your grade. Carry on. Your grade. Savage. I need to go for a spreadsheet. Giving him a B. Let me quickly go back to my notes on him. Yeah, going forward, ridiculous. Uh, Expected assists, 96th percentile in the league. So there's probably only one other fullback who's done better than him uh, this season so far. Couple of issues. Jack's highlighted those defensively, but aerial win percentage only at forty-one point one percent. So fullbacks, he uh, three and four fullbacks are better than him. So he's in the twenty-fifth percentile there. And also discipline's a bit of an issue. If you like a bet, uh, please gamble responsibly. He's good for the cards market, but he has been fantastic going forward. And yeah. Hopefully he keeps providing um, excellent crosses into the box and can work on his defensive stuff. Yeah, he has to be that player just to offset his weaknesses, I think. If he keeps being in the right positions and keeps setting up the attackers, then I think you, in the League One, you forgive the defensive lapses. We're going to move on to the centre of the field, so we're going to look at deeper centre midfielders and cams here. Let's start off with Ben Stevenson. I've given him a C. Ten matches in all comps, four in the league, but only from 107 minutes. I just think he's been solid whenever he's been played. Filled in for Marlon Pack quite well and does that defensive role pretty spot on, really. Solidifies the midfield, allows the more creative players to go forward and express themselves a lot. I don't think I can give him lower than the siege is the fact that really I don't think he's had a bad game in a bumpy shirt, but he's not, uh, he's not had that many and it's just been smooth and steady throughout the entire way. Joff? Yeah. Purely for the same reasons as you, I don't have the data to kind of give you some of his best and worst attributes and stats from this season, but I see he's kept things ticking um, when he's needed to. He's just been fine given the minutes he's had or lack thereof, if you want to say that. Yeah, a pretty shrewd move in terms of backup for Pack. I'd like to see him, I mean, I say get more minutes in cup competitions. We're out of all of them. That's a shame. But he's been a perfectly fine replacement and but in an outstanding performance against Stevenage, as Jack highlighted on Twitter. Jack, what are you going for for Ben Stevenson? Yeah, I don't think every player needs a massive explanation as to what they're good at, what they're bad at. I think some of them are just okay. And for me, I've given Ben Stevenson a C. Hasn't really played much, deserves more game time. An incredible one-minute cameo, zero touches, zero passes, zero errors against Stevenage. Yeah, I'd want to see more of him. So yeah, Ben Stevenson, C. Right, we've got to stay on the lines of centre midfielders. And depth centre midfielders at that. We're going to look at Tino Andrian now. I'm going to give him a grade of a C. He's played nine matches in all comps with seven in the league. One goal, that beautiful goal against Reading when he played out on the wing. Less said about the bit of defending he did in the first half, the better, but there we are. He's shown he can progress the ball incredibly well. Very advanced. 
can get involved in and around the final third as well. Got sharp eye for goal. But we said this about a lot of players so far, I feel. Campaign again, ruined by injuries. Obviously had the hamstring tear against Chesterfield and obviously had the, the previous injury before that as well. So hasn't played enough for me, largely because of that. But when he has been played, when he has played, he's been solid. So that's why I've given him a C grade. Jack, Tino Andrian, I know he was one of your favourite players to come in. Yeah, yeah, fantastic player. Again, a C, as some of you have read. Just, I echo your points. You know, he's a fantastic technician, great finisher. He had that overhead kick as well, which is which is lovely. Just, yeah, riddled with injuries. Probably won't be fit until March. At that point, you probably won't even be sharp. So just really disappointing for him and for us. Yeah, C. Very good in terms of quality, but just hasn't been able to back that up with consistent game time and whatnot. Joff? Yeah, Hatrick Assis here. Just hasn't been that available. He's contributed when he has been available, but he's just had rotten luck with that. No kind of stats to go off because due to his injuries, there's not enough data, which is a shame, but yeah, a C for Andrew. Okay, we're going to keep on going with Sensory Builders. Let's look at Terry Devlin. I've given him a C+. He's played 20 matches in all competitions, two goals, two assists. In the league, he's had 1.36 expected goals and 0.5, 0.65 expected assists, excuse me. He's the sort of player that we thought he would be. Gets himself involved in battles an awful lot with very high defensive duel rates, very high aerial duel rates, and very high offensive duels. One stat I looked at, he had 0.65 key passes per 90, which is the same as Karamoko Dembele for Blackpool. So make of that what you will. Obviously, he had that lovely assist in the Bolton game when he was played on the wing as well and had that excellent goal against Reading. But he has had some games where he's looked lost and hasn't had as much impact as I would have liked coming on. He's had a few games where he's played at Cam where he hasn't done enough for me and there hasn't been the link between the midfield and the attackers. So that's why I've graded him down slightly harshly. But considering he's 20 years old and he's come from Glentoran, I still think he's done incredibly well and he's a strong part of this squad. And he's so young, he's going to develop incredibly well. So no, a C plus might seem harsh, but no, I think he still had a quite a good season individually. Joff? I've gone exactly the same. He came in from a level that's not League One's level and he's stepped up most of the time. He's had his shaky moments, but he's, yeah, he's mostly, most contributed pretty well. Um, in terms of stats, he's the first, I think only a hundredth percentile. So for centre midfielders, despite him having appearances kind of out on the wing late on in games, if we want to see a game out, he touches in the opposition box, 7.89 per 90, which is good, but perhaps somewhat of a miscued stat, but I thought I'd give it a go anyway. And then worst stat, dribbled past, he's in the 30th percentile, so still not horrific, but 0.88 uh, per 90. But he's, yeah, contributed really well. And he's, yeah, you've said it, Fred, he's so young, he can hopefully only develop upwards from here what, what do you think of Terry Devlin Jack uh, yeah I went B minus so not far off your, you guys to score one of my favourite signings of the summer for us still I'm a big big fan of him very impressive how he's been so far although kind of lacking that consistency in his performances I think the next step for Terry is nailing down his role and what kind of player he is and kind of getting more consistent uh, game time in terms of starts but he shouldn't be too worried about the latter right now. I think for now it's, it's, you know, just kind of working out what he is. 
I know Messino, when we signed him, said he, if he is a 10 and he's had quite a few good appearances as a 10 so far, but I'm still not quite sure on that. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Terry gets on. Um, big fan of him, be my honest. Another depth of fielder where we didn't quite know his role to start with, but he's carved out a new one. We're going to go for Christian Sadie here. I'm going to give him a C plus. 28 matches in all comps for 22 in the league, two assists in the league, zero goals from 2.25 expected goals. Pretty yikes there, but he is an incredible impact player when he's played. But in a way, best performance of the season where he just showed his strength and was able to progress the ball past several defenders for setting up. I can't remember who he set up, actually. That's gone off completely off the top of my head. But no, incredible there. Has strong positional sense when he plays at Cam as well. I think that's a I think that's a big thing. It's not just about the physical play for him, even though he does get involved in the duels an awful lot. He's top of League One for centre mids and cams for offensive duels per ninety with seventeen point two two. So whenever he's on the ball, he gets involved. And second highest actually is Tino Andrewin. So that kind of shows a bit of what Massinho wants to get out of his attacking fielders. Also have a, has a high amount of dribbles with 5.42 dribbles per 90. Even though he's exactly the sort of impact player we need, I think there has to be a bit more end product there, which is why I've put the grade slightly lower than than uh, what some people were expecting. But no, C+, plus, but great player to bring on when Pompey are in a pinch. Jack, Christian Sadie? I think when you view him through the lens of a of a number nine, you, I would, yeah, it kind of makes sense. You give him a C+. Plus. Um, for me, Ever since he kind of stepped foot in a Pompey shirt, not before we signed him, because I thought he'd be a good number nine as well, but kind of his first appearances, I've gone, yeah, but win a midfielder type, you know, combative, box to box. And for, for that, I've given him a B. I do agree that he needs to increase his output and his boxing, box instincts and behaviours need to be better. It would take an extra touch or it'll, it'll move the wrong way or, yeah, things like that. But yeah, when you view him through the prism of a Joel Linton type midfielder, I think, yeah, I think he's been been really good. Just kind of missing that that final that final action, as Danny Carley would say. Geoff, have I been too harsh on Christian Sadie? Have you got him ranked higher than me? I do not. No, I've gone for C plus as well. Yeah, he's been misprofiled, which I guess one has been pretty interesting to see him kind of grow and develop uh, in this role as this kind of combative, attacking Jolinton, pressing demon, but also quite annoying. I've seen some comments online describing him as a Poundland Akin Fenwell, which is quite frankly ridiculous. And yeah, so C plus, better than average, good impact sub, has had his kind of shaky moments as well. His stats, because he is down as a nine on all a lot of these websites, you know, the percentile thing might be a bit skewed, but dribble success, ninety-third percentile. Uh it's pretty good. But he is in the one-th percentile for uh, amount of times he's dispossessed again take that with a pinch of salt because as a midfielder that might be totally different but yeah C plus really good player on his day has had some amazing kind of runs where he's skilled a few people and and then the final products the final ball the final action hasn't been there so some stuff to improve on but pretty happy with him we're going to move on to some of the prime players in the middle of the midfield starting with Marlon Pack our captain I've given him an A grade, 21 matches in all comps, two goals, three assists from 2.15 expected and 1.98 expected assists. He marshals the midfield incredibly well, drops deep and solidifies it quite well. 
defensively sound, able to put a strong tackle in, but he's also able to hit a ball with a sixpence. I think it was very obvious the midfield. Midfield did admirably well without him in it, but when he's playing, it's very obvious. Strong motivator off the pitch, can progress the ball with his strong passing as well. I think he's integral to this, how this side plays, so I've given him an A grade. Joff? No, Fred, we're on the same wavelength here. Yeah, I've given him an A as well. I you think... haven't seen my Word document, have you? No, and you haven't been reading my notes. This is a locked note no. on Apple. <laughs> yeah, A grade. I think the thing that stands out for me for Pack that when we haven't played as well, uh, I think back to the Exeter game recently, that Pack still stood out as being, yeah, he's decent. I was in the home end for that one. Uh, my parents lived down that way. And so I went with a couple of mates of mine and they were like, oh, he's decent in the middle, isn't he? It's like, yeah, he's our captain. You know, Marlon Pack, haven't you heard of him? Stats-wise, long ball accuracy, 93rd percentile, which you expect from deep-lying playmaker, loves to ping a ball, and then interceptions is his worst one, but I say worst, 46th percentile. So, you know, just below average. And again, stylistically, that might not be his thing. So an A for Marlon Pack. Jack, I thought you grimaced when I said when I gave Martin Pack an A grade. Though I've given him a B plus stroke, A minus because I agree with all. You of can't your do that. You have I, to pick. I've one given him an A minus, an A minus. Right, I agree with all of your points. There's just something when I watch Marlon, and by the way, I love him. He's fantastic. He's a general captain, leader, legend. There's just something that just I don't know. I just can't put my finger on it. It's just not quite right. And I know that's not very you know good for a, an analytical podcast, but. Yeah, it's still a. The fact we're going, oh, a minus, that's ridiculously low. It kind of shows the standard. Um, yeah, he's, he's fantastic as a general. I think he'll improve as the season goes on. Just, yeah, I mean, he's got the best passing range in the squad. He can, it's good for a goal every now and again. Good defense. He's got everything. There's just something, I don't know what it is, just not quite there. I've worked it out. That thing you can't quite put your finger on. And Sex it's appeal, because he's got more than me. Well, no comment. Um, <laughs> because he wears number seven and is a centre midfielder. Yes. And in fact, yeah. I'm changing mine to an A minus purely because of that. You. Solidarity. Charlatans, the both of you. Honestly. <sighs> let, 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 let's put this on the right foot again. Let's look at a midfielder who I think's had an excellent season. Let's look at Alex Robertson. My worries about that shoddy loan spell at Ross County melted away after the first three games and Jack can't stop reminding me about it because that was the main thing that I brought up. Every, a lot of doubts about Robertson. 27 matches in all competition, one one goal and four assists. Even in the league, he, he's had 4.41 expected goals and 3.01 expected assists. There was that brief period where people said, oh, he can't play at number 10, he needs to play deeper nonsense he can play in either and is perfectly adept at both of them very good in the transition and on the turn ex integral for Pompey when they're playing out from the back as well strong positional spence silky passing he's fitted in with morel and pack incredibly well and i just think he's a threat whenever he's going forward i know there's the gap there with the expected goals and the actual output but in another world he would have scored those goals and that hamstring tear injury is massive, and that's going to put a bit of a dent in Pompey's hopes going forward. That's why I've given him an A. Jack, I know he's your favourite player, so Alex Robertson, what have you given him? Yeah, I've given Robbo an A. And this is, Andy will hate me for this because he, he always messaged me on WhatsApp going, 
smug prick. Um, but no, I, I, I saw this coming, which is quite a big gamble actually, because if, if he was rubbish, I would look like a right prat. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I kind of interact on, on Twitter with his personal coach, Dean Braithwaite, I believe, um, quite a few times. Just if he, if he adds the goals, if he adds the goals, oh my word, you're looking at like not a generational talent because like, he's not that. You're looking at like a Premier League, easily Premier League level player. Yeah, that injury is gutting. Cause he's just, it's just so, so, so good. And he'll go on to do great things. I'm still confused about why he didn't get called to the Asian Cup for Australia, but there we are. Joffy on the, what do you think of Alex Robertson? Uh, I'm going to be Pascal Savage here, given an A minus. All the things you said, totally agree with. Jules, one percentage, 89th percentile, amazing. Touches in the opposition box, 29th percentile. So again, that's a tricky one to take in because he has played in a deeper role and he's played more advanced. So slightly more skewed there. The thing that separates my A minus from your guys' A's is the goal thing. And as well, sometimes he's a bit ill disciplined and potentially he's learned that from Joe Morrell, who's got a lot to give in terms of other areas of the pitch, but that ill-discipline has sometimes plagued us. So an A- minus for Robertson. Let's move on to the final centre midfielder. Let's look at Joe Morrell. I've given him an A-. minus. 27 matches in all competitions, one assist. I think the reason why I put him behind Pack and Robertson, he's had, he's had a few games where he's a bit miss, missing, but very good in the transitional. Always, a lot of the time, always around to pick the ball up and play it incredibly quickly and it's a large reason why Pompey are able to pay, play with that pace sometimes the ill discipline though is an issue with the red card and always putting a foot in always moving off the referee but that's not a judge he's a Welsh international for a reason I think he's got that calibre and could probably play for this side in the championship when he gets there but I just think Pack and Robertson have been ahead of him but for a lot of the similar reasons the way he's able to help out the defence and solidify things I still think he's had a good season, so I'm giving him an A minus. Joff. Monsieur Morel, I've gone for a B plus. Yeah, he's been fine, but that ill discipline has cost us and given us given me, I guess, the justification to put it him one grade below. Robertson statistically dribbled past tenth percentile, which isn't great for a kind of ball winning midfielder. But when the ball isn't at the player's feet, he's intercepted the ball really well. So he's in the 78th percentile for that. So, yeah, Rees playing, Rees balls going through on counter-attacks and stuff. But, yeah, ill-discipline has cost us this season. And there's been certain games. Stevenage game, he looked amazing in terms of distributing the ball, giving it quickly, turning when there isn't an option on and recycling it. And if we can get that version of Joe Morrell, then it would be more... Jack? Yeah, I love Joe Merrill, B+. Again, those cards have cost us. He's not a liability, in my opinion. I think he's just ill-disciplined. There's a difference. He makes up our best midfield, which is Pack, Morrell, Robertson. And my last point would be kind of his role in the team. He joked in a recent interview of Max Swatton at, at Pompey. His role is very much win the ball back, give it to Robertson immediately. And, and, and yeah, that was, that's, that's morale for you. It just needs to tighten up on those fouls and, and be a bit smarter in transition. And then you've got a, a really, really good ball winning midfielder because I still think we could do one. But yeah, if, if morale can improve and add that to his skill set, then saves us money and, and keeps his starting berth. Um, but yeah, really good. I think we'll only get better. B plus. I think the deeper parts of the central midfielder, Pompey's 
strongest parts. But we've also seen some progress on the wings as well. Let's go for Paddy Lane first. I've given him an A minus. 26 goals in all competitions. 26 matches in all competitions, excuse me. Seven goals, five assists from four expected goals and 3.92 expected assists. He's had a breakout season and he had a patch where he didn't do very much, but I've really liked him. Very aggressive in certain scenarios on the dribble. Hasn't got the most pace in the world, but is always running down the flank and giving midfielders options for a longer pass. He has more, a lot of sense in the penalty area, whether to pass it across to Cole Bishop or someone else or to take a shot on himself. We saw glimpses of that at the beginning of last season, or the end of last season, excuse me, and he's gone on ever since. For me, slightly more consistency, but that's a, a small thing. And I think a lot of that is largely down to the fact of him just being tired because he's played an awful lot. He's shown he's adept at both wings. And that's also a major plus. So yeah, A minus for Paddy Lane. Joff? A minus as well. A minus for Paddy Lane. Yeah, expected assists. He's in the 92nd percentile with 0.23. So that's looking at wingers. Yeah, fantastic. And his output has been really, really good. So reflective of that expected assist metric as well. As a goal scoring, triple success. He's in the 22nd percentile. So 35% of the time where he goes for a triple. That could be improved on. I think that's more of a kind of game IQ thing like when should I have a dribble with it when should I recycle it when should I put the ball in or shoot but that will come with playing more and more coaching so yeah A minus a couple of bits to improve on but overall has been fantastic for us this season Jack is Paddy progressing in the right lane for you oh that is very good Fred very good yeah I've got him as an A he's massively improved from last year both in terms of performances and output I tweeted that Paddy is one, uh, I think I use the term development jump away from just being absolutely ruthless at EFL level. And I think what Paddy needs to improve on, like he's not going to be able to add that really long, dis- medium to long distance sprint speed. But I think if he can add that kind of that five yard explosivity and just being a bit more aggressive when he bursts out, being a bit more deceptive in his movement and a bit more consistency in his goal scoring. I think you're looking at a, an absolute superstar in terms of EFL terms. Yeah, really impressive Paddy. He's been been a huge, huge, huge player for us this season. Another player who's been huge for the club this season and has gone above expectations is Abu Kamara. Obviously, I'll know from Norwich. 32 matches in all competitions, six goals, four assists from 4.35 expected from his four goals in the league and 3.92 expected assists. I've given him an A-. minus. Similar with Paddy Lane, I think Kamara had that little run where he didn't do very well on the left-hand side. He was playing on his wrong side to start with and still looked incredibly good. Now he's moved to the right side. I think he's doing incredibly well. Very brave in terms of beating the fullback. I think that was obvious in the Exeter City game when he subbed on. He wanted to drive with the fullback. He wanted to create chances. It could be a bit higher because even with the four goals from his expected for as expected, there have been many chances where I think he could have done better in the final third. And I think that's the little thing so far. But considering this is his first season of men's professional football, I think he's done incredibly well. So A- minus for Abu Kamara. He's had a great breakout season. Jack, again, you made fun of me for being worried about him not playing any senior football for this loan. So I expect you have his grade at pretty high level. Uh, yeah, I've got his nay. Um, I didn't expect him to be at this level either. Unlike uh, Robertson, who I expected to be a superstar, I did not believe 
Abu would be at this level, which is testament to him and his character and his, his ability. And yeah, in terms of what Abu needs to improve on, there's a coach on Twitter called Harry Brooks who works with a lot of academy players. And when describing Sakari, he says he needs to add this, and I quote, fuck you trait, which is essentially when he faces up a, a fullback, just being really ruthless and vicious, neither immediately going to the bar line or immediately cutting onto his left and having a shot. And I think if Abu can add that, just face him up early and then just going and being really aggressive and ruthless in his actions, I think you're looking at, again, with Paddy, like an absolute just superstar. And if he could learn to balance, that would be quite nice. But yeah, for his first spell in, in men's football, he's been yeah, fantastic. And if he can add that bit of ruthlessness, then wow, what a player. Joff? I'm just going to say that Jack did a great Gordon Ramsay impression there. Wow, what a player. Stunning. I've gone with a B plus. That might seem a bit harsh, but I'll hopefully try and justify it here. Just a quick breakdown of his best and worst stats. Touches in the opposition box. 90th percentile with 5.79, which is, yeah, really, really good. When he gets into the box, cross accuracy, 30th percentile. Again, not not awful, but could be improved on. And as Jack said, decision-making could be a bit better, which is why I've graded him slightly further down than you guys. And then finishing as well, he's fluffed a few chances, three against Stevenage. He's under pressure, but um, there's one in the Cambridge-Cheltenham game as well, where he could have put it away and he just hits it straight at the keeper. So B-plus with a potential to definitely get into the A grades by the end of the season. Okay, we're going to have a bit of a drop-off for wingers now. Let's start with uh, Anthony Scully. I had big hopes for Scully that he would have the rebound season. From And I thought the spell at Wigan was just ruined by injuries, and I thought he'd bring back his Lincoln City form. Unfortunately, he hasn't. Uh, I give him a D grade. I know his nine matches where he hasn't done very much is largely down to those injuries, and I will mention that but I haven't been impressed at all, unfortunately. The Cheltenham game did very well coming on, and I think with a lot of fresh legs he can improve, but going going on things as of the 7th of January, compared to the expectations I had of him, he hasn't met them, so I'm going to give him a D grade. Jack's furious. I'll give him a D no, grade. I'm not furious. I, just, I think that's a bit harsh for me. I've given Scully a C because he hasn't been amazing. He hasn't really done anything of note, which sounds a bit harsh, but it's true. The, uh, the kind of the, the asterisk being he's not really played a game for Pompey where he's both sharp and not carrying an injury. He's had that knee injury he's been carrying. He's, uh, you know, he's had little niggles. I think has he been good? No, but are there extenu- uh, extenuating circumstances? Yes. I'd probably a C, C minus. I think, I think D is, is harsh in my opinion, but yeah, I think. It's also about creating the right conditions for Scully and he needs sparks holding the width and what he needs is Scully needs to be sat in the half space and basically immediately shooting or passing or crossing because he's not quite got the 1v1 ability or the pace of the agility or things like this. I think pace Sarsh actually is not the slowest but he's definitely got not, not got that 1v1 ability or whatever. I think if you can get him in the half space uh, with sparks at left back kind of platforming as such he can be really effective there but when he had Ogilvy behind him it wasn't optimal for either player. And I think that is something to uh, kind of note down. Joff, sure, are you going to give me a yellow card for that anti-Scully rating just I'll like split, Jack has? Or not? I'll split the difference with a C-, minus, so not quite, but we'll see later on if you've been any more savage. Yeah, but haven't got anything kind of statistically there because he hasn't played a huge amount. Yeah, he hasn't shown that kind of spark that we were all expecting, you know, in our pre-season transfer rating uh, episode, either episode one or two. 
really, really excited about him. And it just, it just hasn't happened. And that's due to injury. And, you know, the start of the season, he wasn't, uh, we're all going on about, uh, White and Scully, two awful signings, you know, uh, our wingers haven't done anything this season. And so, yeah, C minus below average. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm prepared for you guys to shout at me again in a minute. I'm going to introduce Gavin White. I have also given him a D grade. 25 matches, one goal and two assists in all comps, but only one assist in the league from 2.3 expected goals and 2.11 expected assists. We went through Scully and White and we earmarked White as we thought he would bounce back and improve his numbers slowly. But his advanced numbers aren't up there with Lane and Kamara. And I didn't think he had a good game as the cam. He filled in and did some nice passes in the middle of the pitch and also that cross we mentioned earlier. But he wasn't advanced enough for me, for me which I'd like as a attacking fielder. But on the wing, I don't think he's been brave enough. His crossing hasn't been quite been there either. He sort of plodded through games and he hasn't offered that much. Obviously, there are extenuating circumstances. I believe there was an injury in there, and also he had two or three geeks out for personal reasons. That's obviously something to consider and a reason why. And I think the fan sentiment I saw on Twitter matches it, I think, where a lot of people are saying, we want it to work, but it's not working at the moment. And I think Bissinho's going to him and starting him because he's seen him play, played alongside him, and know what he can do. And I had high expectations for White, considering he also dropped down from the championship at Cardiff City. And I'm afraid he just hasn't done it yet. And that's the concern for me going forward, because Lane and Kamara are playing really well. But if they run out of steam, there's not a lot behind them. So a D grade for Gavin White. And I hope that White and Scully turn around their seasons at this point. Joff? Yeah, I've gone D plus. Hasn't lived up to what we expected of him. Uh, one, one thing that I found Pretty fascinating, in fact, that he's a 92nd percentile for expected assists per 90. And that's exactly the same as Paddy Lane. He hasn't played a lot. And I know that our finishing sometimes hasn't been on par. And it might just be the fact that whenever White's assisted someone, they've missed, right? There haven't, there hasn't been a load of data to go off. It's half a season's worth. But the D plus thing, goals, he's in the first percentile with zero. So there you go. That's kind of brought that one back down. And yeah, whatever's kind of gone on in his personal life, uh, hopefully has been resolved and he's getting the support for it because, you know, the stuff like that can really affect a player. So kind of wish him all the best and hopefully he can get back to form as well because there is a really good player in there. So hopefully that D plus can get to a C at least. Your opinions on Gavin White, Joe? Yeah, I don't want to pile on too much. I feel really bad for Gavin. I we careful I was speaking here because I think it could be dangerous. Um, not dangerous, but you know, you've got to be careful. Uh, yeah, I I think uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I just feel really bad for him. It's like it's almost like he's forgotten how to make his body work. Like I look at him running, I go, You just don't look like you know how to run. And it's like I'm gonna cry really emotional over this. For context, I, I gave him a D. I, oh, just there's there's every now and again there'll be a glimpse of wow, what a player. And it's normally when he's playing on instinct and he doesn't have to think. And as soon as he gets the ball down and he can make a decision, it is I reckon he gets in his own head because he's got all this pressure around him. He's on you know healthy amount of money, which should not factor into how someone is doing within their own brain and personally. That's not a factor. I'm not saying that, but when you look at fan expectation, fans are going to look at that. And I've I've not liked the 
kind of the pile on, on social media because players do see it. They might not even have Twitter, but they do see it. Look at Colby Bishop, what he said. Like, I've, I wouldn't want to be in Gavin White's head now. I don't think if I can make a guess. Yeah, I just feel bad for it. I really hope he does well because he's, he's clearly a nice guy. Everyone in the dressing room seems to like him. Look at how they celebrated as a sister versus Bolt and everyone was jumping on him, piling on him. Yeah, I just, I hope he gets the support he needs if he needs it. I hope he does well. Whether that's here or, or not here, I'm really not fussed because I just think he, he, I want him to do well. He seems like a good bloke. Yeah, fingers crossed for him and finger, fingers crossed for all the players who gave low grades too. It's not as if we're doing this out of spite. We're just trying to go through this objectively and, well, we will all want them to do well because we're fans of the club and if they do well, the club does well. So, Right, strikers. Going to go to Cassini Yengi now. I've given him a B plus. 17 matches in all comps, seven goals, two assists. That's a very good return. Three goals in the league from 2.81 expected goals. Obviously had that brilliant game against Bolton where he roasted one of the best centre-halves in the division, showed a lot of swagger, and showed that he can lead the line, but also do things that Colby Bishop can't do with his dribbling, running down the channels, able to give the wingers a lot of options for through balls and so on. I think Yengi's had a great breakout season considering that he's come from the A-League and it's a completely different environment for him. Again, injuries have been there and has put a stop to that. But no, I think a B-plus is a fair grade for him. And when he comes back from the Asian Cup, he's going to push Bishop for a starting spot. Joff? Yeah, I've given him a B. There are definitely areas that of his games that he needs to work on. The second Gordon Ramsay reference, he is still raw and he gets dispossessed quite a lot. So he's in the fourth percentile of all strikers for that. So he loses the ball a lot and you can kind of see it when he started games. When against Northampton, he a lot of the time just got the ball and just, just lost it. And, you know, if he can... I think that's one of those things that will come with consistent game time. Obviously, his goal scoring rate is kind of a bit ridiculous at the moment because of the amount of minutes he's played. So per 90 might not be the best thing. It's got a couple of pens in there as well. But for non-penalty XG is my kind of standout stat. He's in the 94th percentile, so he gets into good positions. He takes shots in the right places. And yeah, he'll be a big miss while he's out there. And best of luck to him, to him in Australia. Been looking to get an Australian Yengi shirt to wear the five aside, but don't seem to be available in the UK at the moment. Anyone can hook me up. Thanks. But yeah, a B I think is fair because he's got a lot to improve on, but he has done really well in his first season in English football and adapted to the cold. Jack? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it very brief. B, very good, very good. It reminds me of George Hurst quite a lot. For me, it's just trying to work out how to fit both him and Bishop in the same team. I think it, you could do it if, if Cassini plays as a left winger, but I think this is a, a, a debate for a different podcast. Yeah, very good. Um, reminds me of George Hurst. Uh, yeah, incre- it's fucking raw. It's raw. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, you had to get yeah. that in there. Of course, of course. I had to back up Joff. Um, yeah, B. Right. Finally, Colby Bishop. Obviously, a lot of stuff about him recently from the returning of injury, but I still think overall he's had a good season. I've given him an A grade. 28 matches in all comps, 13 goals, two assists from 24 league matches. 14.74 expected goals, so goals slightly below expected. But he also does so much in the link-up play. It's fairly obvious. His aerial jewels is up there with a lot of strikers. He's able to tangle two defenders and create space for others. Just purely from the eye test, he's able to play lots of passes to the wingers and the attacking fielders if they bond on past him. And he's up there with some of the uh, highest goal scorers in the league with his 13 goals. And I don't care that a lot of them are penalties because we get in the chances in the first place that he takes them. 
So that's why I've given Bish an A grade. He's going to get at least 20 goals this season. And that is exactly what we've brought him in for. Joff? A as well. Standout stat. Obviously clinical goal scorer. His He hasn't kind of hit the kind of ridiculousness of scoring above expected goals as we've seen in the past this season. But his expected assists is in the 93rd percentile. So it's really good for a striker. And anyone who says, oh, it's just a penalty box striker. Nonsense. His hold-up play and his build-up play is ridiculous. And it is... He's yeah, I, I guess undervalued in that. I think few people, a few people see it, a few people don't, and that's fine. But the stats are there to back it up, and he's class. Dribble success, nineteenth percentile. Not the best for a centre forward, but he's not a he's not a dribbly forward, is he? And his layoffs and stuff, just compared to compared to Harry Kane, he's the League One Harry Kane, and I'll take that. Jack, you're going to have the last word on the last player we have, Colby Bishop. How have you graded him? To Joff, son of a bitch, you stole my line. Yeah, the League One Harry Kane. Um, that was an awful Robin Williams impression in uh, Good Will Hunting. But um, anyway, yeah, League One Harry Kane. He does, he's got everything apart from pace and, and agility. I mean, my favourite thing about Colby, apart from the goals, is he will suck two uh, centre backs on it. Actually, it's normally a centre back and a fullback, leaving uh, normally Abu Kamara quite open on the Y. What he'll do is he'll just flick it on. And I don't think people have cottoned onto it because he does it like three times a game and it always works and it just creates so many opportunities and those are kind of intangibles that you can probably see in the data but not the publicly accessible stuff. And yeah, as Joff said, I think it's an absolute joke. People call him a penalty merchant or whatever. I think it's embarrassing to even call him that. He was right to, you know, call out the the minority of fans. The thing about Colby is when he cupped his ears, that was not to everyone else. That was to the knobheads. That all, yeah, A for Colby. A king, a god amongst men. Right, we've gone through all the squad and let's hope that Pompey can keep this run going and we hope that this team can finally get us promoted because that's what we all want. A big thank you to Jack and Joff for being on the show and until next time, play up Pompey. Pompey.